I'll be reading from Matthew 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Doug Huber was standing in an antique store in England in the 1970s. The object of his eye was this little, ugly, rhinoceros horn cup. They used these cups in the 18th century for rituals in the East. In China and places like that, they loved these little cups. And Doug Huber had become a collector of these cups. Now, as you can imagine, it wasn't that hard to collect these cups because he was one of the only people in the world that collected them. So he's got this collection, but he's now standing in front of this cup that he's been watching for a while. In fact, he loves this one so much that he has researched and found the entire set of these five rhinoceros horn cups, and he's bought them. It it, it took him $5,000 to buy these cups. They had no use to him. He just liked the way they looked, liked the way they felt. His family didn't get it. They just sat on the counter in his house. Well, 40 years later, Antique Roadshow comes to Tulsa, and Doug Huber, a physician's assistant, from Eufaula, Oklahoma, goes to Tulsa with his rhinoceros cups. And if you've ever watched this show, I love this show, but I get that a lot of people don't watch this show or didn't watch the show when it was on. They go, you get a little talk about it, the appraiser in real life goes and researches and does whatever they're going to do, and then they film the big reveal, how much is usually your junk worth, is what it (laughs) ends up being. On this episode, though, the appraiser comes back and it, it can't believe what he's about to say. This set of 18th century rhinoceros cups that Doug Huber has traveled the world over to collect is worth $1.5 million. If you watch the video, he just sits there like he can't believe it. He's like the only person that loves these things, and he just goes, Serious? And the guy's like, serious. And he goes, well, I guess I'll have more than Social Security to bank on. <laughs> he, uh, he turned $5,000 and a hideous set of rhinoceros horn cups into $1.5 million at auction. Jesus, this morning, is telling us there's something about the kingdom that you need to know in stories like this. See, Jesus tells us stories of a pearl of great price, of a treasure that's hidden in the field. And whatever that translates to, Jesus is saying, I want you to know something about the kingdom. It's like a person like Doug Huber, who at the time, it was the highest appraisal 
in antique roadshow history, right in our backyard, and you follow Oklahoma, that's what the kingdom of God is like. What happened in his life has happened in your life if you're a Christian. And what happened in his life could happen to the people around you if they see what Jesus is going to describe to us this morning. So in Matthew 13, Jesus is telling parables about the kingdom. Last week, we started with the parable of the sower and the soils. This is maybe the most famous parable. In fact, it's the one that in Mark, Jesus says, this is like the parable. If you, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of the parables. This is the entryway into the parables. A sower goes out and sows seed on all these surfaces, and then he explains the parable. And after that, Jesus stops explaining parables. He tells the parable of the weeds, gives an explanation there. But for the parables we have this morning, it's up to us to figure out what these mean. See, that's kind of the point of a parable. A parable, at the same time, reveals, but it also conceals. It reveals to those who see with spiritual eyes what's going on in these parables. But it conceals from people who don't see. That's why Jesus says those who have, those who are investigating, those who are diving in, those who are working through these things, those who are following Jesus and bearing fruit, to them, more will be given. But to those who don't have, even what they think they have will be taken away. These parables are, as we'll talk about later, a subversive way of teaching people. In fact, that's in and of itself one of the things we learn about the kingdom is Jesus comes declaring the message of the kingdom, but it's not what everybody thinks it's supposed to be. In fact, this is one of the tensions in Jesus' ministry is his disciples must have wondered constantly, what is he talking about when he talks about the kingdom? Because Jesus comes on the scene preaching the kingdom not as like an add-on. See, this, this is where sometimes we get a little bit off on what Jesus was actually doing. Jesus came preaching the forgiveness of sins and the death on behalf of sinners and the resurrection of, of the dead and eternal life, but all of that was actually in a package of the kingdom of God is here. So when Jesus first opens his mouth in the Gospels, you don't hear, hey, you're sinful and you, you need a Savior. He says that, but he says it this way. The kingdom of God is here. The time has come. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus' message from the get-go was there is a kingdom of God, and it is starting now. Well, that's all well and good, but then as this ministry goes on, you're like, where is it? Where's the kingdom? Where's the armies? Where's the king? Where's the guy that's going to come and throw off the reigning king, which is Caesar? What's, what's happening with the kingdom? Is, it, is there something that we're missing here? And Jesus preaches over and over and over again to where you get this climactic scene in the Gospels of Jesus with Pilate. And Pilate just can't figure this guy out because he's supposed to be the king of the Jews. But Jesus is looking at him, he's like, but the Jews just beat you up and sent you to me and they want to crucify you. What kind of king is that? In fact, Pilate asked him, so they say you're a king. Are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate's going to be like, these Jewish faith teachers. There's something, something about these people. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would be fighting for me right now. But they're not. It's a spiritual kingdom. 
And uh, Pilate says, well, okay, that, that's great and all. Do you know that I have the ability to put you to death? Because the real king's name is Caesar, and I am a representative of him. And Jesus says to him, you would have no power if God hadn't given it to you. It's a subversive kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom than we think it is. And, and in these two sets of parables, this morning we've got two sets of two parables. There's a parable about a mustard seed and a parable about leaven. And these are parables that Jesus is laying out to his disciples to say, this isn't the kind of kingdom you're used to. It's a mustard seed kingdom. It's a leaven kingdom. These are how the kingdom works parables. But then what's even more intriguing is in order to understand how the kingdom works, you need the parable of the treasure in the field, the parable of the pearl of great price, because these are parables about the who of the kingdom. So there's how the kingdom works, and then there's who is the kingdom that we're going to look at this morning. The how is, is really fascinating. Jesus, by, doing, by teaching the way he does, he takes these parables that seem so pedestrian, Right, last week we talked about the, the parable, the definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We're accustomed to reading the heavenly meaning, but I want you to just step back for a minute and think how pedestrian these parables are. A man takes a bag of seed and throws it on the ground. That's how the parable of the sower starts. The, the kingdom of heaven is like, let me think about this, and if you're in Israel, what, what you're almost guaranteed Jesus was doing is he looks over and he says, it's like a mustard seed. Because if you walk around Israel, growing along the side of every road and in certain parts of the country, all over fields and everything are these little mustard plants. And sure enough, if you go there and you take some of them and put them in your mouth, it tastes like really good mustard. They're everywhere. So Jesus probably is teaching his disciples and saying, what should I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like, like this, like a mustard seed. You see how small these are? But when they grow, do you know how big these plants can get? That's, that's the kingdom of God. These were so disarming. These parables that Jesus tells were about earthy stuff, commonplace stuff, but they had a meaning that was profound about what God was doing in the world. Eugene Peterson calls Jesus' ministry a subversive Ministry. It's not a word that you typically associate with Jesus. We, it kind of has a bad connotation for us. Subversive is something you don't want to be. You don't want to be somebody who is behind the scenes manipulating things, and out front it looks like all is good. But, but in, in the way that Jesus describes it, this is actually a great quality. It's like when a mustard seed is planted under a sidewalk, and you think, we'll, we'll never see that seed again, but somehow... With water and soil, no sunlight, it's able to break through your sidewalk in front of your house, and then you have to replace it, all from this little seed. That's, that's the subversion that Jesus is talking about. Eugene Peterson, in, in a contemplative pastor, he says, Jesus was a master at subversion. Until the very end, everyone, including his disciples, called him rabbi. Now, rabbis were important, but they didn't make anything happen. This is like a real put-down to rabbis here in Eugene Peterson's book. Jesus' favorite form of speech, too, the parable, was also subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary, casual stories. People relax their defenses thinking these can't be about God, these can't be threatening, and then like a time bomb, they explode in their unprotected hearts. He was talking about God, they said. We've been invaded, they say. But this invasion... 
it's not like the Trojan War, where they, they send the people in in the Trojan horse, and then when they pop out, they burn everything to the ground. That's, that's not the kind of subversion that God is doing in our hearts. Instead, it's the mustard seed that once inside begins to grow. And in your life, it starts to push out the old and fill it with new fruit. The fragrance of your life begins to change. It's like God has a little seed garden in your heart, and as he begins to tend that garden and plant the seeds of his word, the fruits of the Spirit begin to pop up in your life. That's the subversive nature of the kingdom is, before you know it, slowly but surely, the seeds have begun to grow. They've begun to push everything else out of the way, and they've begun to bear fruit that God is bringing about in your life. See, Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard seed in that it has small, insignificant beginnings, but is unstoppable in its growth. There's a Japanese theologian who wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. And the point of the book is the kingdom of heaven, when Jesus came, grew at three miles an hour, which is how fast you walk. Because God could have sent Jesus during the social media age if he wanted to. He could have sent him when there was cable TV. He could have sent him when there was Wi-Fi. He could have sent him when there was just a little bit better quality of life, like air conditioning and penicillin and things like that. But instead, he sent him when one major achievement that the world had never seen before had been achieved, the existence of Roman roads. The whole known world of that area was now paved. In fact, you can still walk on Roman roads today. And Jesus was sent by God at just the right time, Paul says, to die for sinners and just the right time that the kingdom of heaven would expand on foot. The kingdom of heaven only advanced up until about 50 years ago at the speed that a person could walk. And yet, every corner of the world is coming to know Jesus because of that. See, sometimes this parable is a reminder to us, we don't have to outsmart God. Technology is great, we should use it, we should take every advantage we do have, but we shouldn't be like, if we don't have that, what's God going to do? Three mile an hour God, one changed life, one person going where they would normally be going at the rate of three miles an hour is how God has changed the entire world. So it's like a mustard seed that grows, and you may not see the growth, and you may be frustrated with how slow it is, but it will inevitably take over wherever it's planted. But then he says, it's not just like that. It's like, it's like a leaven, leaven that you put in bread. And I don't necessarily think there's anything to make of this, but in this parable, this lady who's baking, she says, leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. This, this woman is baking for an army. This is a ton of flour. So this isn't just like one loaf of bread. This is a huge mass of dough that she's making. And she puts just a little bit of leaven in, knowing that the leaven is going to work its way through the whole thing. See, the kingdom of heaven, because it's a personal kingdom, means that when somebody is changed, that's what these next parables are, are about, they are like leaven. They are actually, wherever they go, it's going to get infested with the message of the kingdom. In fact, if you think about it, nobody who's ever entered the kingdom has come, come at it any other way than this. Leaven, they didn't know this then. They knew what it did, but they didn't, they didn't know why. Now we know leaven is like a bacteria, and so it multiplies itself. It, whenever it's in something, it feeds and it eats and it multiplies itself, and pretty soon it takes over the whole thing. 
<laughs> Jesus is like, that's, that's the kingdom. That's it. Christians who have been changed rub shoulders with other people, and all of a sudden they start multiplying. And that's the wonder of Christianity is you had 12 people, one of them defects and turns in Jesus to the authorities. Now you're down to 11, and in 300 years, half the Roman Empire is Christian. How does that happen? Like 11. Just whatever they rub up next to, people start to become Christians. They start to see the treasure in the field. They start to see the pearl. It's like, you know, Paul was the best at this. He saw every opportunity for ministry because he saw himself as 11. He's like, I can go plant a church in Ephesus, or you can chain me up and I'll convert the jailer. It doesn't matter to me. Wherever you put me, I'm like Levin. I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be showing. I'm going to be exhibiting this kingdom of heaven that's broken in to earth. And from then until now, there's never been a way that someone's become a Christian other than this. There's a million different ways to pe- for people to tell their testimony, but none of them are missing this element. Somebody told somebody who told somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, and you could trace that all the way back to the beginning. And I tried to wrap my mind around this this week. I was like, I'm going to come up with an example of somebody that this did not happen. And so I was thinking about it, and I, I thought about when Charles Spurgeon was preaching in London. His sermons were so widely read that they printed them in the newspapers every week. And so he would preach, people would stay up all night, they would print them in the newspaper that week, and then what they would do with old newspaper is they would just cut it up and use it to package things. And there's a story of this lady who's living in London, and she has her butter that she bought at the market, which is wrapped in newspaper, and as she's carrying it home, she kind of notices something, starts reading a little bit, and she becomes a Christian. And it's like a paragraph of Spurgeon's sermon. I thought, okay, that's like not with a person. But God used the preacher. He used the butter maker. He used the newspaper printer. He used the person that packaged that up. He used the person that sold it. God was selecting a group of people that all together would lead to this person coming to know him. I thought about sometimes in the Middle East, you see that when it's a closed country, they will drop gospel tracts from the sky down, and people will pick them up and read them and become Christians. The same thing, I'm like, man, God is just showing off. He got a pilot, he got a writer, he got a printer, he got all these people to band together. They had no idea who these people were, but because they knew Christ, somebody else comes to know Christ. I thought, okay, there's one more. Dreams, right? People come to know God through dreams, no people involved. But even in Acts, when somebody has a dream, he sends a, sends a messenger to say, hey, we need somebody to come interpret this dream. God plants the seed, and then he brings Peter to come and explain the gospel. Then he sends a missionary. Then he sends a church. Then he sends people who could come and serve by teaching and discipling, and the leaven continues to work its way through the loaf. The kingdom of heaven is like a little mustard seed. It's like leaven growing at the speed of human life. That's what the kingdom is like. But then then Jesus switches gears, and he says... The kingdom of heaven is is about people specifically. It's not just the kingdom and how it spreads. It's it's what happens in the human heart that is the expanse of the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered it back up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so he can buy the field that has the treasure in it. There's, There's so many commentators that take this and they're like, what should we think about the ethics of this? You know, I mean, he's not making the proper declarations about the value of this field. He knows something that the seller doesn't. I'm like, that's the point. Some people see the value, and some people don't. 
He, in his joy, goes and sells everything because he knows it's far more worth buying that field and getting that treasure than it is to have anything else. That's like the trade that is at the heart of the Christian life, is that when you see for the first time that having God is worth more than anything else, you'll do anything to make that trade, right? The the parable is about a trade-off, and the Christian life is about a trade-off. Following Jesus is going to require leveraging all the other stuff that in the sight of what he's done for you is worthless in comparison. Right? That's why the early Christians were like, I can have God and all I have to do is get shunned socially and you know, be branded as a heretic before the gods. That's all I have to do to get Christ? Okay, I'll make that trade any day. The early martyrs, all I have to do is get killed and I can enjoy eternity with my Savior? Okay, all right, bring it on. It's like when they're leading Polycarp, who's one of the early bishops, probably a disciple of John's or one of John's disciples, and they're pleading with this guy. He's 86 years old, and they're like, we're, you know, we're going to throw you in with the wild animals. You don't want to have that happen. Why don't you just say out loud that you don't believe anymore, and you can believe whatever you want in your heart. Polycarp says, you know, 86 years I've served the Lord. He has never done me harm. Why would I take your word over his now? And he says, bring on the beasts. Most of us, we're not going to have to face that, right? I don't know if I have the faith for that. I think God would give it to us if we were in that situation. But do you have the faith to make that trade-off in smaller ways? Your reputation may be a little bit damaged if you're one of those Christians, you know, who really believes what the Bible says. Or it may not be good for business in the short term for you to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to do honest things in my business. Or it may be that you're one of those people that you don't really face much external opposition, but you have turmoil inside trying to put your sin to death. The things that you love, you feel like you have to stay away from. And the things that God says are good for you don't seem quite as appealing, but you are so committed to following Christ that you're willing to trade the comfort in your own soul for being with Christ. So he says that there's a trade-off at the heart of every conversion. And so if you're feeling like, man, this Christian life is not easy, chances are you're in the middle of the trade-offs. Chances are you're in the middle of what God is calling you to do. See, the, the flip side of this parable actually happens later with the rich young ruler. So the rich young ruler comes and Jesus starts talking to him about the Ten Commandments. He's like, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. And I'm, I've done it perfectly from the outside. And Jesus is like, okay, let's test the first one. Sell everything you have and follow me. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. And, you know, he's rattling off like the, the relatively easy ones. I haven't killed anybody, you know, that kind of thing. And he's like, okay, let's just start at square one. Do you have anything in your heart that keeps you from following God fully. Jesus, knowing his heart, is like, let me, let me put my finger on it. Sell everything you have and follow me. And you know, the rich young ruler, it says he stood there and thought about it for a minute. But because he had great riches, he turned away. And Jesus, sorrowful, right? Jesus is like, man, this is the guy that sees the treasure in the field. He's like, oh, I'll just keep my stuff. I'll just keep what I have. It's the exact opposite. The parable is like a photo negative. Are you the rich young ruler who, because of what you have, you're not willing to make the trade? 
Or are you like the pearl merchant who is so studied in these things that when he sees it, he knows this is worth everything else I've got combined. I'm going to do what it takes to get that pearl. So Jesus tells his disciples, look, the kingdom of heaven is full of people who have made this trade-off. The the kingdom of heaven is not just an intellectual thing. It's not just like, hey, I I see the value of this. I've made a pro and con list. I think, you know, I'm big Pascal's wager. If you just go ahead and believe in the afterlife and it's true, then that's going to be great. But if you don't believe and it is true, then you're really out a lot. So it, it makes perfect sense to believe. Christ's like, it's not, it's not about that. It's not about the fact that you have great insurance in the afterlife. Because that's not what people talk about. Right? You don't talk about the things that are like a good move like that. You talk about the things that you care about. Like we were at the meeting house the other night. Nobody was talking about their insurance coverage. It was like bizarre. Nobody was talking about that. People were talking about shows that they're watching, books that they're reading, experiences and trips that they've been on, people that they know, because that's the stuff that you care about. And Jesus says that the conversion of a person into the kingdom of God is at the level of what you care about. It's at the level of your affections. Notice that when the person sees the treasure in the field, he doesn't just say, this is a good business move. In his joy, he goes, sells all that he has to get that treasure. Kingdom of heaven is not advanced by Christians who begrudgingly serve God. It is advanced by people who know the value of what they have, whose hearts have been changed, filled with joy, who know that it's worth leveraging everything to get that, to be a part of that, to be reconciled with him, to have my sins forgiven, to get a new life, to get a new start. That is worth everything for me. I don't know if you've ever had to trap a raccoon before, but if you have, or if you haven't, there's a really ingenious way to do it. Raccoons are really crafty, but they're also really fixated on stuff that they love. In fact, one of the ways, it's not a foolproof way, but one of the ways to trap a raccoon is you don't even have to get it in the cage. All you have to do is put something that it wants in the cage And it will reach through and grab it. And as long as that thing won't fit back through the cage, it will stay there for a long time trying to pull that out. Because it doesn't realize that by holding on to that one thing, its life is going to be in jeopardy. All it can think about is, if I could just get this through this cage, that's what I need. And you're looking on saying, that's exactly the trap that I set. Most of us are are like that about something in our life. Something that we're like, well, I'm not in the cage. I just have a hand in the cage. And we think we're safe. But at the end of the day, Jesus is very clear about this. It's going to demand everything. Is there anything that you're holding on to? One of the messages of these parables is the kingdom of heaven is subversive, but it is also victorious. The kingdom of heaven in the end really will come to fruition. It really will bear fruit. It really will encompass everything. And while right now it doesn't quite look like it, in the end, the kingdom of heaven is going to be all that there is for those who love God. So what are you still hanging on to? What are you afraid of leveraging for the pearl, for the treasure? In conclusion to these parables, Jesus reminds his disciples that it's not just about a trade-off. It's about something that is a matter of life and death. This isn't just cold, calculated thinking. This is something that will either lead to everlasting life 
or everlasting death. Like, we don't like to talk about this part of Jesus, but Jesus is clear all the time. Hey, this is a life and death issue. Your sin will either lead to death or it will be paid for in Jesus' death and it will lead to your everlasting life. Those are the only two options. No technicalities, no loopholes, no nothing. That's it. (laughs) So I heard a pastor explain it this way. It's like the negative side of these parables is like you're in a cave. And we don't know how you got there, but you're in this cave and it's totally dark, but you have this teddy bear that you're holding on to in the cave. And it's your source of comfort, it's your source of someone else, it's, your, it's getting you through and you're depending on it, and then all of, a sudden, all of a sudden somebody turns the lights on in the cave. And you look down and your teddy bear that's been your constant companion is a tarantula. And the whole time, you had no idea, and now the lights are on and basically you have two options at this point. You can either throw that down and recoil because now you see it for what it is, or you can just ask them to turn the lights off again. Those are your only two options. And that's, what these, that's what's so brilliant about these parables is Jesus is like, there's, there's just two options. Do you see the treasure? Like, do you see it as a treasure? Has your heart been changed to say, I want that more than anything. I've got to have that. Okay, you can have it. Just follow him. Just surrender your life to him. Lay down what you have. Give it to him. Say, you are my everything. You are all in all for me. Or you can say, Turn the lights back off. I don't want to know. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to consider it. But, but here's the thing. The subversive nature of these parables is even if you turn the lights back off, it's going to be working on your heart. It's, it's going to be in your mind. This is what happens with people like Nicodemus is they don't like it at first. But then as Jesus' ministry goes on, he comes back to him, And then he stands up for him, And then at the end, he's like, this has got to be the guy. I'm willing to risk reputation. I'm willing to risk my livelihood. I'm willing to risk my family's well-being because this is the Son of God. This is the Savior of the world. So this morning, Jesus leaves us with this picture. This is the kingdom. It's a kingdom that is expanding slowly. It's a mustard seed. It's leaven. It's working its way through all of human history, and we get to be a part of it. And the way we are a part of that is by making that trade-off, by saying, I've got a lot of wonderful things, but I have nothing like my relationship with God, nothing like my Savior. And (laughs) the offer is open for anybody. That's the wonderful thing about the kingdom. It's not that hard to get into. Now, it will cost you everything, but it's not that hard. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary in two chapters before this, and I will give you rest for your souls. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that... Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's not what we sometimes think, Lord. It's not sometimes what we see. We we long for the day when your kingdom and our faith will be sight, and you will be ruling and reigning. There will be no injustice. There will be nothing lacking. There will be no evil. Every tear will be wiped away. We long for that day, Lord. Remind us this morning that that day has already begun. Father, remind us that we are like people who have come across something that is more valuable than anything we ever could have wanted, and it's ours if we'll give you our lives. Father, I thank you that you are using our church like leaven, like mustard seed. Lord, would you give us the patience and the courage to see your kingdom grow in our town, in our region, in our world. Lord, transform this place because of the fruit, because of the working of the leaven through the whole loaf. We know that you will do that, Lord, in Jesus' name.